Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody. Kim and I are here to talk all things wine with you again this week. How are you, Kim? I'm doing well, Mark. How about yourself? Everything is great. Good. Of summer is here, and we still have a lot of wine to talk about. That's right. Yeah, we're getting into uh, harvest season for folks in uh, the northern part of the world. So this is always an exciting time for wine information because we start to get some information in about how the harvest seemed, you know, what were the quantities of grapes and how the quality was. So over the next few weeks, maybe we'll be uh, seeing some of those reports come out. Yeah. And we'll have to talk a lot about the fires that are happening and how that's affecting everybody's rushing to harvest what they can before they get damaged or fortunately burnt out. So... We'll keep an eye on that. Let's talk our first story, Kim. We found an interesting, it was in, actually it was in the New York Post, but it was in a lot of wine publications uh, recently. Yeah, I saw this one all over social media. It was pretty yeah. cute. It's one of those wine stories that got picked up everywhere. And it was about medieval wine windows being used again in Italy. So why don't you tell our listeners, Kim, a little about what's going on with this? So these little windows or little doors were first used during some of the plague periods in medieval uh, Italy. So 1500s, 1600s, a lot of buildings built these little windows into the doors or into the walls where people could hand things into and out of without having to come face to face with each other. And as we are dealing with a communicable disease that uh, is pretty much spread from person to person by talking or breathing too close to somebody, this turned out to be a fantastic thing to revitalize during the time of coronavirus for people to pass drinks back and forth. So just as we're seeing in the U.S. that our restaurant industry has gotten really hammered really, really hard with shutdowns and bars not being opened and inside dining being a little dangerous, of course, the same exact thing was happening in Europe. So a lot of these Italian places sort of reopened their uh, little wine windows and were using them to sell wine or aperitifs, or it sounded from the article that they were even being used for gelato selling and for coffee and for pastries. So all sorts of things where consumers wanted to purchase something that they would then eat or drink and didn't have to come face to face with the person who was doing the selling. Yes, so they were saying this was a quarantine tradition. I mean, they were talking (laughs) bubonic plague periods. Right, right. Talking about going back hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, it's like, hey, let's just use those windows that we used in the past. And and I've seen it where they're handing out drinks or people actually bringing their own bottles and Uh they fill it and hand it back to you. Yep. And that's a common way to purchase wine, especially in some of these smaller places. You know, you bring your bottle back and there's a ginormous uh, barrel or, you know, storage container and you just open a spigot and you, you know, get your red wine or your white wine and then you go on home. So, you know, uh, a really creative use for something that's been there for a while so that you can socially distance and still get your wine. 
And they were saying also at one time there were more than 150 of these windows in the like Florence area of Italy. So it was it was pretty widespread. Mm-hmm. And then something happened in like the 60s. A flood was what they said happened that damaged or they ended up boarding up all these windows in like 66. And then a lot of them disappeared. Yeah, 1966. And a lot of them disappeared. But then they revitalized a few of those. So it, it was interesting. Yeah. And it's really, you know, the, the pictures of them all were, were very kind of cute. <laughs> you know, it's like all these little tiny little doors and, it's, and, a, and a glass of wine being passed through. It's like, oh, Buchette del Vino is what they're called, these little wine windows. And there's even an association of folks who run them called the Wine Window Association. So, hey, who knows? This could be a, could be a nice new trend. Maybe we'll start seeing them pop up here. They actually made maps of where you could find, I would assume it's like a Google thing. I would assume that you can track where all these windows are so you could go to all the people and help them. And I would assume, like you said, Kim, they were hurting for business. Everything was shut down. So mm-hmm. this was a way for the businesses to revitalize and like yeah. get some product out. And really creative uh, because we saw at the beginning with Italy having been hit so hard and so early that because so much of their business to consumer sales were either directly through the, the winery or through like a tasting room, you know, it wasn't necessarily that a lot of these wines were sold through restaurants or, or through stores, but that people had to actually go to the physical place of production and buy them and everything had been shut down. So there was literally no way for any of these wines to be to be able to be sold. So I think it was a clever and a thoughtful way of being able to keep everybody safe, but also to be able to to sell your product and make your make your little bit of money for your company. And I think the listeners should know, Kim, that this to me was the original drive-through window because of wine, right? <laughs> Everything right. links back to wine. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com and more information about Mark at his website, franklinliquors.com. And you can find our radio show on Facebook on The Wonderful World of Wine. We are back. Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. Our next article is entitled... Sneaky reasons why you might be overpaying for wine. And I kind of like this article because it, it gives us a little bit of information for maybe you uh, intro wine drinkers out there. Maybe you um, like to drink wine, but don't know a whole heck of a lot about of it. About it. And um, buying it can be a little intimidating because, you know, sometimes you walk into a wine store and even if it's not a particularly big wine store, if those shelves, you know, are just staring right back at you and you're like, wow, where do I even start? So I thought that this had some really useful uh, tips for people who don't necessarily want to spend a whole lot of money on wine, but want to make sure that they're getting a quality, tasty bottle. Yeah, we always talk about the wine wall and we always like to give tips of better ways to become a, a, a good wine, not would say a good wine shopper, but a smart wine shopper. And right away in this article, they started out, Kim, with two kind of Things I thought were, were kind of hitting people below the belt, maybe saying most people don't have the skill to buy a good bottle of wine, which I thought, wow, like, what, you know, that's kind of putting it out there, no? And then they said <laughs> 53% of the time, people cannot tell a cheap 
versus expensive on a bottle of wine. When they're doing a blind, if they're blind tasting yeah, things. Yeah. And taste. I've seen this psychological study uh, published in a couple of places that there, uh, there was a study that if you, or a couple of studies, that if people are given a glass of wine and told what the price is, and it's an expensive price, and then given the same glass of wine and told that it is a less expensive price, people are going to prefer the more expensive one, even though technically it's the same exact wine. Psychologically, you think that because you're paying more for it, it's a better bottle of wine. Yeah. How do you handle that, Kim? If someone, if you know you're tasting a bottle and it's a hundred dollar bottle, are you already in your mind saying you're expecting it to be good, right? Or expecting yeah. it to be another level? Absolutely. So I think it works for me the opposite way. If, if you're telling me it's expensive and I taste it and I don't like it, I'm like, is something wrong with me that I don't like this hundred dollar bottle? You know, it, mm -hmm. What am I not getting here? Yeah. So I've gotten more comfortable, I would say, over time being able to say, okay, I understand that this is a bottle that's, you know, fairly expensive and being able to say, I still don't like it. If I don't like it, I don't judge myself necessarily and say, oh my goodness, there must be something wrong with me. I think I see it more as, okay, I can recognize that this is a good bottle of wine. I just don't necessarily like it. It doesn't maybe fit with the styles that I tend to drink or styles that I particularly enjoy. But there is something that happens that I think what you're referring to is if you have an expensive bottle and you think that it is not up to par, right? Right. Yeah. That I... Yeah, because then you Do start, see, and you, if you second guess yourself, I second guess the winemaker. I'm thinking, hmm, what are you well, trying to pull on us yeah, here? There's <laughs> a lot of times you taste when you say, there's just no way this wine is worth it. You know, there's yeah. hype behind it, but it's not worth it. Right. What, what about, do you like to know when you're given a wine, the price point before you try it? Um, I, yeah, I think I do. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to have the exact dollar that it will cost, but I certainly would like to know, am I tasting something that regularly will retail for $10 or regularly retail for $50? I like to think that I can tell the difference, but some things are, are surprising. Yeah, I'm strange that way. I like to know, you know, a lot of salespeople and you know, being in sales that you probably didn't want to say the price because you might have had a ten dollar bottle. You wanted people to be shocked that wow, mm -hmm. that's ten dollars, sure. right? But I like to know, especially if you you everything you having me taste is a hundred dollar bottle. I, I I don't want to have all hundred dollar bottles on my shelf, and right. that's not what people are looking for. So. Yeah, for you as a proprietor, the price of the wine has to be worked into whether you think it's going to fit or not for you. So for you, it's not all about is this is this wine delicious? Because honestly, there's a lot of really delicious wine out there, but you need to figure out, is it's going to fit with what my customers are going to buy? So that that is a really important distinction, I think, for how you taste wine and how you need to taste wine, as opposed to if we were at some big wine tasting just for fun. Yeah. And when you're at those, you're tasting all the good stuff, right? That's you, right. <laughs> everybody's always hitting the expensive, expensive right. wine tables. But this article, Kim, said, how can you shop smarter? And then they gave some tips. So which one would you like to start with first as a tip? I'm, I'm just going to start at the beginning. All so right. the first tip was questioning whether expensive wine is actually better. And this is where they refer to that, that study that says psychologically, if people see a price on a bottle and it is more expensive than they would ordinarily spend or just a more expensive price, they're automatically inclined to think that this is going to be a more tasty bottle of wine. But it's not 
always the case. Sometimes that price does sort of, you know, trick us into thinking that it's better for whatever reason, whether it's because of expectation or just because we associate higher price with higher quality. But it doesn't necessarily mean that a $100 bottle of wine is going to be 10 times better than a $10 bottle of wine. Um, What I think generally is the biggest difference between a less expensive bottle of wine and a, a very expensive bottle of wine is complexity of flavor. So if we're just talking about flavor, usually a more expensive bottle has more complex flavors in it. It'll usually last a little bit longer if it is a red wine. But honestly, a lot of what causes a wine to be more expensive is things that you're not necessarily going to taste. It might be the prestige of the vineyard or of the winemaker. It might be because that wine is from a single vineyard. It might be because that wine is from a very, very tiny, limited area that they just don't make a lot of wine, so therefore they can charge a lot for it. Or, you know, for any number of reasons that you're not going to really be able to taste in the glass. So is expensive actually always better? Not really. I have a sweet spot of pricing that that I think lots of good wines land in. I usually stick to between $12 and $25 a bottle. That's not to say that a $50 bottle isn't going to be better than that $20 bottle of wine. You know, sometimes and often it is, but it's not always the case, especially if it's a style that you like at a less expensive price point, you're going to like it better than a more expensive one in a style that you don't really like. Yeah, the, the goal here is just to find some sort of value in wine. And that value to each individual is different based on how much money you can really afford to spend. So if some people, an expensive bottle of wine is all they're drinking because they have a lot of money to to buy. It doesn't mean that it's good money. It just means that's what they like to spend. I, I like to look at this point kind of the opposite way, Kim, is a lot of people think inexpensive wine is really good. So don't, I would say on the other end of this, don't think that all inexpensive wine is bad wine either. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like kind of the reverse of this. Don't start at the top. I mean, there's a lot of inexpensive wine that is really good quality wine. Yeah. And I think that's really smart to bring up because there is plenty of stuff that is not expensive and that, you know, they could charge twice for and it would still be a good value wine for that amount of money. But yeah, I, I like where I like where your head's at, where you're starting on, the, <laughs> you know, don't don't degrade the less expensive stuff because it actually could be, you know, really quality juice. And I've got a whole, you know, a whole mess of those wines that that are less expensive that are my everyday drinking wines. And I'm perfectly happy drinking those and they didn't cost me a whole lot. Yeah, I agree with that. So what's what was next, Kim? They're saying uh, corks, right? They talked right. about corks. So corks versus having a screw cap or having a glass cap. Um, and I think this is where we're talking a little bit more to the novice wine drinker here. So screw caps on better quality wines have been around for about 20 years now. So it started like around the year 2000, we started to see wines from New Zealand, Australia that were good quality and bottled with uh, screw caps. And I think it took the public a really, really long time to start to understand that better quality wines don't necessarily have to have a cork in them. We still do see that those highest tier wines, you know, those really pricey ones will still have a natural cork. But as producers change to using plastic corks or using kind of more fake corks, Stelvin, which is the official name for screw caps, I think really came into its own as the next best thing to a cork. So The lesson here is if you see a screw cap on a bottle of wine, don't think that that automatically means that it's 
kind of a crummy bottle of wine. It's not an indicator of how good the wine in the bottle is. So don't, this, be, don't be scared of screw caps. They're saying that you pay 8% more if it has a cork. Is that, so that what they were kind of saying? Yeah, that like so, it, it adds a, a dollar or, or more to the cost of the bottle. So the article is saying reasons you're overpaying. Are they saying if you buy a cork wine, you're overpaying where you can get this value if you screw cap wine? I, well, I, I think that there's of, also that sort of prejudice against better bottles of wine that don't have a cork in them, that people still associate a cork, either a cork bottle with better quality or a screw cap with a poorer quality. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of trying to relate it to what the article saying why you're overpaying. It doesn't, to mm-hmm. me, you're not, either way, you're not, it doesn't matter. It all goes back to that uh, expensive, inexpensive to me. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, it's kind of a weird, uh, well, kind of a weird point to me. The next one, though, I thought was a good point saying, don't be afraid of lesser known grapes. Right. And, I actually I mean, love this. this. Yeah. I mean, this is what we live to do. Try to introduce people to <laughs> other grapes in the world and right? just say, you know, there's more than just Chardonnay and Cabernet and you can find some great values if you learn some of these other grapes. Right. And I think this plays into the point that I mentioned before, where you might be paying a little bit more money for something that is familiar. So say Chardonnay and just because it says Chardonnay on there and you're familiar with Chardonnay. To say Chardonnay is sort of the cheddar cheese of the wine the wine world. Everybody knows what cheddar tastes like and pretty much everybody knows what Chardonnay tastes like. But if you sort of branch out and try and buy different grape varieties that maybe you have less familiarity with because they don't have the popularity and the cachet and the familiarity that Chardonnay does, you're not paying that sort of extra premium for the reputation of Chardonnay. There's, d- does Chardonnay earn its reputation? Absolutely. But there's still a lot out there that is wicked cool and very delicious and just not as much in the public eye. So definitely explore those uh, less familiar grape varieties because you will get a little bit more of a bargain, especially on a restaurant wine list. Yeah. And I always like to put little notes of different varietals next to well-known varietals. Say, hey, if you like this, and I'll put an arrow towards the Chardonnay, I'll say, try this. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and you do that on your business card where you say, if you like this, try this. So people should look for those little things when you're shopping or at a restaurant, you know, ask for suggestions. You know, I like Chardonnay, but tell me something out of the box that you think is a good value for me. Right. And if you've got a good server who who knows wine or you're in a wine shop that has staff like Mark who know what they're talking about and know what all their wines taste like, they'll be able to give you direction as to what to try that's going to fit with the kinds of things that you like. And then you don't have to worry about paying that premium for that familiar style or that familiar grape variety. And then they talked about lesser known grapes followed up with a perfect point to follow up with is also choosing from other areas or right. other regions. And these really go hand in hand. You know, it's just like Chardonnay is a very, very popular grape variety. Napa is a very, very popular place. So choosing things from regions that are a little bit less familiar might still have a fantastic value and a really lovely taste to the wine, just might not be a place that has 
the cachet that other places do. Yeah, certain grapes are what we call international grapes that are grown all over the world. Chardonnay, Cabernet, you can find great values in Cabernet from like Southern France that in Napa would be a $50 bottle and Southern France is 10 bucks. Right. Same grape, a little different profile, but still great juice and right. great value. Or something value. from Italy or, you know, something from South America and get some fantastic Cabernets from Argentina that are a quarter of the price than what they would be from, um, from someplace like Napa. Next, Kim, they were saying a reason you'd be overpaying for your wine is that you're falling for the single vineyard trick. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that this was interesting because when I saw the the name of this, I'm like, okay, single vineyards. I yeah. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and explain it because it's a little uh, it's a little not what I was expecting. Well, this to me when I think single vineyard, I'm thinking the small circle of the of what you're getting. So yep, exactly. you're either getting from a, a country, from a state, from a region or from a vineyard, a plot of land. So a, a, a single designated single literal spot. vineyard. Right. Yeah. So it, it, when you do that, it adds to the cost because it's, it's a finer selection of grape. It should technically be a greater quality of grape or sourcing of the fruit. You know where it's coming from. You know the characteristics of that vineyard. And they're saying that you'd be overpaying for that, which you are because it should be better fruit, better and result in a better wine. But it doesn't necessarily mean the winemaker made it right or made it good. So it, they're priced more and you have to be careful, but uh, there's not, I mean, it's not very common. You see a lot of single vineyard stuff on the shelves. To now me. see what I took from this example in this article was that they weren't referring to actual like AVA single vineyard sites that we often associate with that. Like you said, the center yeah. circle, if what you're thinking you of like a bullseye, I was thinking of putting a vineyard on the label as a marketing term. A so trick. like a trick, yeah. like where, you know, American producers will put vineyard reserve on a label. That means yeah. nothing. That right, means, right. <laughs> it means less than nothing. Right. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of producers will do that for maybe some of their less expensive bottlings that they want people to think are a little fancier, where they'll put like Julia's Vineyard or Frank's Vineyard. And, you know, you think that it's something a little bit more special and more like that localized site, because that's what we generally associate with single vineyards on a label. But I think that in this case, they're referring to it more as that marketing gimmick. That's interesting how we got two different, but now the, now that you said it that way, it's, it is the classic trick that they use their trade name yeah. of the wine as a vineyard name to, to soak you in, mm-hmm. which is followed up. And the reason your point makes a great sense is because the next point they said is that you're buying something labeled reserve, mm-hmm. which is also a trick. So I would assume they're looking at the trick as far as single vineyard. Yeah. On so I label. think those two kind of go hand in hand. And, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's a, I think, a, a really useful and smart thing for wine shoppers to realize and to know about that there are these tricks out there that wine labels pull you in by using these terms that you might not even think about as being just a marketing thing. So it can be very valuable to just know these few things that when you see it on a wine label, you'd be like, you know, your radar kind of goes up and you're like, oh, okay, I got to pay attention 
to what they're trying to do because marketing can be very sneaky. And uh, we certainly see it all the time for, for online labels. And this is uh, something that I think could be helpful if people are aware, are aware of it. Yeah. So in the United States, there's the reserve or the special blend or the winemaker select mm-hmm. or whatever single barrel type things in wine world are not regulated. So someone might see a $10 bottle or a $20 bottle that says reserve. And you think, wow, the reserve one's 20 bucks. got to be great value, but you're actually probably overpaying because reserve doesn't mean anything. Not for so, American wines. Yeah. If you're, if you're talking about French wines, Italian wines, Spanish wines, then reserve means something. But if we're talking about California wines, that's the areas where they, um, they really have no regulated meaning. The next one, Kim, I had a really point of view on this because they were saying, the reason you're overpaying is because you're shopping from a stack of wine. So you're walking in the store and you're seeing a stack of this wine. It says special $10, whatever. You're overpaying if you're buying from a stack. What did you think of this? I don't agree. All right. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with uh, you. Because I think that their point that they said in here was, okay, if a retailer is buying wine in such quantity that they have so many cases of it that they can build a stack of it in the front of the store, they are getting a discount on that wine. They're either getting a price discount or they're getting free goods that go along with those wines that are then usually expected to be passed along to the consumer to bring down the price of the wine. This has been my experience in wine. When a store buys a larger quantity, they get a discount, they get a cut. I've always seen it that you then pass along that savings to the consumer so that you can put up a big display and a big sign and pull your customers in, kind of acting like a loss leader so that then people will be interested in buying that wine for the price, but then will stick around and buy other stuff to build up the rest of the money that you'll make as the, as the retailer. So I don't necessarily buy this idea that if you're buying from a big stack of wine that somehow you're paying more for those bottles or for the quality of the wine uh, in the bottle. Yeah. If you, if you see a big stack of wine, the, the, the reason behind that stack is to sell it. It's not to make a nice display. It's there right. to be sold and they got a good deal. They should be passing the good deal on to you. It doesn't mean that you're overpaying for it. And chances are you're going to get a good deal on it. So I, I kind of didn't agree with that. As uh, I'm with you on that. I like when we disagree uh, with is, the articles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this one we, we, yeah. Next Kim, they said, don't know where to look on menus when you, so you're overpaying if you're not looking in the right spot on the, on the wine menu. Right. What'd you think of this? Um, I, I feel like it can go um, a couple of different directions. So they did make a point that wines by the glass usually are not particularly good value because the cost of the wine or the cost of opening that bottle of wine to pour a glass of wine out of that bottle has to cover the cost of that bottle. Because what if they never sell another glass of it? Then they're out three quarters of a bottle of wine. So usually wines by the glass are not a great value. It could have different value in your eyes if you only want a glass of wine, then sure, that's more of a value to you because you're not going to want to buy a whole bottle. But as far as buying a bottle of wine at a restaurant that is also served by the glass, um, sometimes those bottles are marked up a little bit more. Not everywhere, but sometimes that does come into play for the pricing of those wines that you can get either by the glass or by the bottle. But their other point was that there are, depending on the type of restaurant that you're in, you know, the general pricing on their wine list, to stick to to just over or just under $50 
or just under or just over a hundred dollar bottle, depending on how uh, pricey and fancy schmancy the wine list is. I don't think I have enough info to uh, to be able to say yay or nay on this one because I honestly haven't paid that much attention to pricing on other people's wine lists. And and maybe I need to do a little bit more of that. Just always go by the rule. I don't get the cheapest. I don't get the most expensive. I kind of just get something in the middle or something I've never seen before or no, I can't find. So, but it's harder if it's a, if it's a wine list that's full of esoteric things and you you don't don't know know where to start. Like if it's all sorts of things that you have no familiarity with that, that can be super intimidating. And there are some restaurants that I go out to and I look at the wine list and I'm like, I don't know any of these wines. Even me, you know, I might know the styles of the wines, but I don't know the producers. So if it's if it's happening to me, it's happening to everybody. So yeah, and you to your point, we're, um, we're, we're running on out on time, Kim. But there's two things left that they said that you're intimidated, or you're shopping or dining at the wrong place, which is what you kind of mentioned uh, when you're looking at the menu. If you're intimidated by, ask for help because you know. 30% of the people are overwhelmed by the, by the list and by a store's selection. And if you're in a place and they're not helping you and you're overpaying because you're buying the wrong things because they're not assisting you, then you have to find another place to go because right. they should help you, ask you your price point, ask you your profile, and you'll be a better shopper. Yep. Absolutely. Always ask for help. And if the, uh, if the staff makes you feel bad for asking for help, uh, then that is not a place for you to be shopping. Uh, restaurant folks and retailers should be making you feel welcome and comfortable in where you are shopping. That is just good customer service. And then you're going to want to go back and shop there some more. So it benefits them and it benefits you. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. You can find us here every week. We always talk about our trending topics in the wine world. You can find past episodes of ours on SoundCloud or iTunes at The Wonderful World of Wine. And we always welcome your questions and comments on our Facebook page, also The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Cheers.